and, and here's Harry with everything that's coming up. Wow, we're going to talk about Reese Evans. Is he going to be next doctor? Matt Smith thinks it would be a good idea. Georgia Moffat is doing lots of things. The NTAs, that happened. And Chris is back for more. What? Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm the doctor. I'm a time lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Gasterberus. I hope the ears are a bit less conspicuous this time. You might be a doctor, but I am. I'm a doctor. That's probably not the one you expect. Absolutely fantastic. All of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will, where do you want to start? Hello everybody and welcome back to Bigger on the Inside, the new Who Doctor Who Watch Along podcast. I'm Harry, joined for the very first time in the history of this podcast. Hello Harry! In person. I was, I was keeping up the thing of talking over each other, I thought it would be fitting. To be fair, yeah, it's kind of like a staple <laughs> of our podcast. Uh, without the constant interruptions and misunderstandings, it just isn't bigger on the inside. That's true. Yeah, we're recording for the first time in person in uh, a very nice studio, I'm, I'm, which is a complete lie. We're in my car about two minutes away from Harry's house. It's raining. Um, the microphone is balanced off the steering wheel. This could be the worst sounding episode we've ever done. Or the best. Or the best. It could be the best. Um, our voices are probably slightly louder than each other's, but we'll just... Yeah, Tim is just a smidge <laughs> closer because uh, Tim Tim's chilling in the front seat. I'm kicking the back seat. With all the ladies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, keep it down, ladies. Whoa, we're, ladies doing a, please. we're doing a Doctor Who podcast over here. Babe, not now. I've got to record the Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> <laughs> talking of which, Harry, there's lots of news this week. Yeah, I thought you were about to say, talking of which, there's lots of babes. <laughs> lots of babes this week. Lots of ba- babes. Babes, babes, means new, babes means news. This one's called uh, <laughs> something about the phrase, the word babe. I don't think I've ever used babe in an unironic context. Hey, babe. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. Ooh, the only people, I call, the only um, people I call babe sorry, are, are my, uh, okay. We're recording in person and it's just as slick as it always has been. Phone calls, talking over each other and bad jokes. So, uh, speaking of babes... <laughs> Do we have any news, Harry? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, was, I thought we had a little thing going with the whole babe bit. I feel right. I've outrun it. <laughs> okay, so the first thing is that the... Tr- what does this have to do with Doctor Who? You'll find out. Um, the trailer for Edgar Wright's next film, Last Night in Soho, came out. Matt Smith is in it. He's That's in it. That's the link to Doctor Who. Okay, okay so that, that came out, and uh, until about yesterday, there wasn't much news. And in the last couple of days, it just seems like everybody started talking about Doctor Who again. So I, I was going to ask you the question of how good do you think an Edgar Wright Doctor Who story would be? Oh, is that what we were going to talk That's about? That's what we were going to talk about. We can talk about it very quickly. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing him come and direct one episode. I don't know if his style is perhaps just a little too... It's a very distinct, very kinetic, frantic style. I'm not sure it would be best He hasn't suited. really done space sci-fi yet, has he? 
Um, he said sci-fi, sci-fi elements and comic booky stuff, but like an actual spaceship. No, yeah, no. The closest thing is World's End, mm. um, but yeah, no. He's not done sci-fi, and he doesn't seem to have any interest in sci-fi from what we've seen of his work thus far. I saw online that he was saying that he would. Well, there was like, that, like there was to almost write that an man, episode. Wasn't there? I mean, there was almost that man. That's true. Yeah. Let me have a look. Edgar Wright, Docky Who. Not to who. I'm in aeroplane mode as always, so people can't distract me. Do you often put your phone in Do Not Disturb even when you don't need to be disturbed? Um. It doesn't really matter if you're disturbed or not. No, I kind of generally kind of leave it on because I have massive FOMO and don't want the outside world to move on without <laughs> me. Um, I found something here from Edgar Wright. Let's try and find it. Doctor Who exposed. Um, what the heck is this? Oh! <laughs> okay, so a little insight into how I do the research on the podcast, right? Is I just search Doctor Who and go on news, right? And this is an, uh, an article from The Guardian about a doctor. The first little words of the article are Doctor Who did something. So is in not the name Doctor Who, but the, 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 the word to do something, as in the man who yeah. did this. Um, so we've just been trolled there completely by Edgar Wright. I'm not so. going to lie, I, I'm pretty sure Edgar Wright isn't the first person to make that joke. But he does say here from Digital Spy that Edgar Wright would like to write for Doctor Who. So perhaps not direct, but he would like to... Uh, he would like to write... And apparently he was offered to direct Rose as well, which is interesting, but he turned it down. Oh, wonder why. Uh, what was he doing in 2005? Was that Shaun of the Dead time? I think it was a little... Was Shaun of the Dead, I think, it was either a little before or a little I after I want to say that. Shaun of the Dead was... was that 2003, Shaun of the Dead? 2003, 2004, isn't it? So perhaps yeah. he was already working on Hot Fuzz. Well, I feel like yeah, he was too probably because that was like a... Shaun that... of the Dead's 2004. Yeah. yeah. And Shaun of the Dead was a pretty big hit. Here at least, right? Yeah, massive. I know, kind of like the Connor trilogy has definitely gotten kind of bigger over time, but uh, I want to say that you know, after doing a big comedy like that, he was probably too big already for Doctor <laughs> Who. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, uh, any other? There's lots of news, Harris. So let's skim through this. Yeah, next up, we get to the juicy stuff, which we've saved till last, so people have to listen. Yeah. So the next thing is that uh, Jenny is back. Hooray, Jenny, the Doctor's daughter. The Doctor's daughter. Is back again. Yep, in big finish form. Uh, let me just check. The click, link. On the link I <laughs> click on the link. I've not clicked on this link until we started recording. <laughs> I I like big finish, right? And I like a lot of the stuff they do. But sometimes I'm I look at it and I go, apart from that returning character, I don't know what's the what's the thing they're asking me to come back for. Oh, yeah, she's back and she's in a cowboy hat. Oh, there we go then. <laughs> Answers my question. But do you know what I mean? I sometimes see it and it's like such and such is back. And I'm like, okay, but aside from this returning character, what is it? What have you done with the story? And I sometimes feel the audio element of that is kind of limited because you can't watch a trailer or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Like Big Finish yeah. do these amazing trailers with all these amazing CGI stuff. But like from an outside point of view, you can't really sort of catch up on clips and stuff. You really do have to buy it and listen. Yeah. I mean, it, it just kind of seems to be a series of standalone Doctor Who adventures in which uh, Jenny is the main character. Hooray. Hooray. I was always really surprised they never did anything more with Jenny. Do you think they were, they intended to? Like I, maybe a CBBC spin-off or something like that? I mean, am I right in saying that Jenny coming back to life at the end, from what I heard, was 
kind of a last minute change introduced by like maybe Moffat or someone. Perhaps, yeah. So I, th- I don't think it was ever the intention. I've got a do- I've got a Doctor Who graphic novel at home, um, and it's got a Jenny and Twelve story in it. Really? Yeah, and it's exciting when they meet, but then it's sort of just like. No, they're here. Yeah, there's like nothing really there because she's not really his daughter and he does actually have a family out there, or did. And I always think that's more exciting and why... Like, I really like the character of Jenny and I think it's interesting if we didn't already know there was an actual family out there anyway. Yeah, I feel like kind of... A character like Susan, I feel, is far more embedded within the history of the show. Yeah. And there's a lot more to explore with that and I know that Susan has been explored a lot in Big Finish with I know McGann's and a lot of stuff yeah yeah and I feel you know I don't know there haven't been any audio crossovers with Jenny yet have there I don't think so I think she's only oh no she's met the fifth doctor did she yeah so she did one with Peter Davison because that's her actual dad dad. (laughs) And you she, can't not mention it. It's like yeah. when we did the temp, when we did the Doctor's Daughter episode, where we we actually gone, we went through most of it without mentioning the thing that people talk about when they talk about the Doctor's Daughter. Um, but then, sorry, uh, yeah, but the character Jenny, I, I, I just think it's it's a really interesting character, but I just don't have any attachment to it outside of the episode. I feel like they, if they'd done stuff with her immediately. They could have developed her into something special, but it's because been too long. They didn't. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I don't know how much. Maybe these big finished stories do a lot for her characterization because I know that you know the sixth Doctor was obviously the best example where he was not a popular incarnation on a TV show, yeah. but then through Big Finish, they did a lot of work on his character. Yeah, and he's kind of amongst Big Finish listeners, he's one of their favorites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we need to get into more big finish stuff. We I mean, do. we did. I oh know we got some Eccleston stuff coming up later, but um, we uh, did you ever finish those Eccleston runs? Those, those three ravages. Yeah. Um, I honestly only listened to the first part. Yeah. I, uh, I was. It was a very busy time. I was in the middle of rehearsals for a show. He's um, lying. That's my go-to excuse now. <laughs> you anything. can't use that anymore. You've now finished. I'm still rehearsing for shows, Tim. Oh, I'm an sake. actor. I'm a working actor. I'm going to be rehearsing for a lot of shows, and it takes up a lot of time. Big finish if you need somebody to whine like a little bitch. I've got one sat in the back of the car. Big finish. Actually, please hire me, though, if you're listening. Give me scared. Give me a scared scream. Ah! Give me give me a interested sort of sound. Huh? Give me, give, give me satisfaction. Hmm. Oh, was it like that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I ate a really nice... I took a bite of a really nice piece of chicken. Mm. Is that what you had just before I picked you up? No, I've not had my tea yet. What are you having for tea? I am having... Ooh, I believe it's... Uh, some kind of pastry. I think it's a... Oh, I can't remember. A something bake, or maybe it's a pie. I'm having corn nuggets. Corn? Yeah. I didn't know you liked corn. Well, over in January, I went um, vegetarian for a month. Oh. And then discovered that I preferred a lot of vegetarian alternatives. Like, veg- like, sausages aren't nice. As in, like, pork sausages? Yeah, but vegetarian sausages are really nice. Really? And there's a Linda... Oh, this is completely irrelevant to anything else, but there's a Linda McCartney burger. There's just cheese in it. Hmm. As in, there's cheese in the burger yeah, 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 itself? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's really nice. So oh, I nice. eat that instead, yeah. Oh, so there you go. Good. Saving the planet and all that. Is it? But corn's like a bit more pricey, though, isn't it? It is, that's why I only buy the nuggets. <laughs> 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 I 
I'm not prepared to do the sacrifice for anything else. What if, like, you were, were to, like, mash up the nugs and then reshape it into, like, a patty? Oh, that's a good idea. So I... take the bread, take the breadcrumbs off the nuggets. But blend it, bro. Pop it in the blender. And... But I've got, to take the, I've got to take the crumbs off. I've got to take the batter oh, off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then just, like, mush it with the palm of my hands into a big chicken ball. Mm. And then, well, it's not chicken. And then flatten it and fry it in a pan. Yeah, that yeah. Would, I, I don't know. It doesn't sound satis- very, you know, satisfying when you um, appetizing. That's it. it doesn't sound appetizing when you verbalize it. But, how was uh, how was you proposing I did it? Well, pretty much like that, but I wasn't planning to go into depth because when you go into depth about, you know, I once <laughs> watched a video of someone cook a crab. A crab. Yeah, like they bought the crab and you saw them crack it open and stuff. Because mm. I was, I think I just cooked a fish for the first time. This was this is like twenty nineteen. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm going to do a crab next. And then I watched someone do it. I was like, nope, that's that's too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, I like to say, when I cooked a fish, I don't mean I bought a fish and descaled it. I mean, I bought some already cooked salmon yeah. and put it in a pan. Salmon's good. Salmon is good. Uh, what else is good, Harry, is Doctor Who news. <laughs> oh, yeah, Doctor Who news. This is a Doctor Who podcast. Um... Do you think Andrew Garfield and Toby Maguire are going to be in a new Spider-Man movie or not? Um, yes, I do. Did you, you see Andrew denying it on Jimmy Where he does Fallon? that thing where they go, are you in it? And he goes, dude, I really wish I could tell you I was in it, but uh, well, he I'm say, he really said, not he, in he it, I it, promise. He, he does deny, he says it's Photoshop, but he's, I feel like he, there was a lot of dodging on his part. Yeah. I feel like it's, I feel like it's very obvious. He handled that situation well, because yeah. obviously Kevin Feige would be very annoyed if he said yes. that he was. Um... But I think he's in it. I think he's definitely in it, and he's just doing the whole PR thing. Because those other people have like sort of said that they're in it, who are also in the movie. Well, Alfred Molina and Jamie Foxx both. <laughs> Although I think it was a, their casting was already announced. Yeah. I think Alfred actually mentioned a lot more than he was meant to. <laughs> I think he mentioned Willem Dafoe. Yeah, we know Willem Dafoe's in it. And uh, who I I forget he plays another teacher in the Homecoming movies. Uh, he's got like a, a mustache. I can't remember his name. But he not, was. It's not. The guy who played the lizard is it? It's not. No, no, no. This is in in the last Spider-Man movie when they oh, go when they travel. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. He was like, I can't wait to see Tom with Toby on the big screen. He just said it. <laughs> they were like, I think like the interviewer was trying to catch him out. You know when they go, yeah. and David, I bet you can't wait to be in the 60th. And he goes, All right, it's done up to me. And they were like, And which Spider-Man are you looking forward to seeing Tom with? And he goes, Oh, he has great chemistry with Toby Maguire. And just walks off. And the interviewer was like. Oh, great. How's <laughs> that busted? <laughs> oh, dear me. That's anyway, sorry, back to Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so more news about Georgia. Um, her and David, they're doing a new horror project. Tell me about it. Okay, I'll just open the link. As you can tell, when I started gathering news this week, there wasn't much Doctor Who news, hence the reason there was a fair bit of news on other things. Let's see, Doctor Who stars David and Georgia Tennant are a fantastic couple, both on and off the screen. How do you know? <laughs> How do you know, Michelle? That's a terrible start to an article. Yeah, how do they know? Um, they are a beautiful couple on and off screen. But are they, they going to be in Je- a Jekyll and Hyde adaptation? Jekyll, Jekyll, Hyde, Jekyll, Hyde, Hyde, Jekyll. Jekyll, Jekyll, Hyde, Jekyll, Hyde. This We can now sing in time. Wow. We've never been able to do this, this before. This is amazing. This We're, changes everything. Normally I start a song and then you join in and I have to stop. <laughs> There's going to be so much spontaneous sing-song now. 
Um, I know nothing of Jekyll and Hyde apart from that Arthur song, so please explain a little bit more about what that is, Harry. I've not read it. Do you not know anything about you're a drama no, student? Uh, well, Jekyll and What's Hyde it an, about? It's a novella. It's not a play. I don't know what any of these words mean. Do you know what it's about? It's it's a it's a short little book. I don't know, you should ask like some like fifteen year old kid, it's on the GCSE like prospect thing now. It's a GCSE English Oh I'll just now. shout out the car window enough for any fifteen year old children walking past. You want me to do that, Harry? Okay, I retract my statement. <laughs> um Just find a fifteen year old and ask them. Do you know nothing of Jekyll and Hyde? I do know, but it's about this doctor called Dr. Jekyll, and he makes a potion that turns him into this bad guy called Mr. Hyde. And are, are they both in it? Are they? Is he in it? Is, is George in it? What's going on there? Uh, David plays a disgraced journalist who finds a story that could relaunch his career, but will put those around him in, gen- in danger. As he goes on the run, he's involved in an accident that has a strange side effect, and he starts to wonder where the monsters are, and whether he may be a monster too. Okay, so it's kind of a reinterpretation. So he is Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. Um, and also Scoop McLean. Yeah, I'm, see, I'm trying to see what George's involvement She tends is. to be a producer, I think she, she is just producing it, yeah. She doesn't do much acting anymore. I would like to see, apart from stage, but I wouldn't really class that as... Yeah. Oh, oh my god, the article goes on about mentions the doctor's uh, daughter and all that. Do you uh, even know that Jenny played the doctor's daughter? Geez. And that she also <laughs> is the daughter of real life doctor Peter Davidson. <laughs> and she's married to the 10th doctor, David Tennant. Oh god, let's move on then. Matt you know- Smith gives his thoughts on who should be the next doctor. Oh, this is actual Doctor Who news. Let's try and drag this one actual, out. I'll turn this one into a video. real Doctor Who news. Eight minutes minimum. Okay, so... Matt Smith has given his suggestion as to who he thought would replace Jodie. Um, now, honestly, before we go into who his choice is, I just want to say I'm surprised of all the actors who I thought would give their thoughts. Matt Smith is the last one I expect to actually put his hat in the ring. I'm surprised he's actually given a name. Because a lot of the time it's just like, I can't recall like David or Peter going, this person would be good. It's normally like, it's more like Billy who would go, Helena Bonacarta, or someone like that. You know, it's usually a supporting actor who would give a name. It's quite rare that an actual past doctor gives a name of who they think should be the doctor. Mm. Yeah, so moving on to who Matt has actually said, he said, you know who I think would be a brilliant doctor who? Me! I'm going to do it again. <laughs> can't get rid of me. I'm back. Game of Thrones. That actually reminds me of... Do you remember the teaser for the 13th Doctor before it was revealed to be Jodie? Like, there was the one where, like, the number 13 appeared all around the UK. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was one shot where it was 10 Drowning Street and the number 10 turned into a 13. Yeah. And some people thought that meant that the 10th Doctor, David Tennant, would be coming back to play the 13th ah. Doctor. <laughs> Which is the most... I thought you were going to say something like Penelope Wilters, or what, what, her, whatever her name is, who plays um, Harriet Jones. No, 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 no. It's the people Jane thought the 10 turning to a 13 meant, Tennant's going to be 13! Which, it's fine. It's the second silliest um, thing Doctor Who fans have done, other than watching all of Death in Paradise because they thought Chris Marshall would be the 13th Doctor. <laughs> That's true. I did that. I didn't watch all of it. I watched some of it. Mm. I know. I think I know. I think I knew who Chris Marshall was before that. Mm. Yeah, because he's in my family, wasn't he? The sitcom with um, Robert Lindsay. 
Oh yeah, 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 of course. And he was also in Love Actually. As he was the guy who women slept with because he was British. That's a Richard Curtis film. And talking of Richard Curtis films, carry on the quote, Harry. It does make sense. Carry on the quote. How was that? What's no, that just read the quote. Read what Matt oh, Smith yes. said. Matt Smith said, um, "You know who I think would be a brilliant doctor? Reese Iffens. He was in Notting Hill. Oh. oh, there you go. You see. Oh, directed by Richard Curtis. Oh, wow." I thought Richard Curtis was just a writer. Okay, maybe he did just write it. I don't know. But the, the, Matt Smith said Reese would be sort of cool. I don't know if we've had a Welshman yet. I'm backing Reese. What do you think to that cast? That that suggestion. Well, it's actually refreshing that of the Welsh actors Matt's picked, he didn't pick Michael Sheen. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Because I feel like Michael Sheen has already shot down. That he's going to be the Doctor. I, I don't think he'd make a very good Doctor Who. I th- he's a great actor, but he is. something about him doesn't strike me as the Doctor. That's true. Master, maybe? I don't know. But not This guy would make it look like a better Master. Resiffens. Yeah. Have you, uh, what work of his have you seen? Notting Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, let me have a look at his... He was uh... also in The Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, was he? What did he do in that? He played the lizard, Dr. Connors. Oh, well, then I've seen I've seen him in that as well, then. Yeah. Uh, I've seen him live. Oh, what, what did you see him in? I saw him in On Bear Ridge at the uh, Donmar Warehouse. Oh, that's good. In 2019. I've yeah, no he was very good in it. Words mean, but... it. It was a play. It was a what? A, it was a play. I've seen him in Nanny McPhee Returns. I've not seen Nanny McPhee Returns. Um, he was also in... He was in A Bigger Splash, wasn't he? No, what, The not Boat That Rocked. Was he in A Bigger Splash? Kevin and Perry Go Large. Or am I thinking Under Milk Wood? He was in Under Milk Wood, wasn't he? I don't know. Uh, what else do we have here? Yeah, a lot of stuff. He's a very accomplished actor. Uh, a Christmas Carol the Movie from 2001. Is that an animated one? It looks like it, yeah. Family Animage. Who else was in this? Oh, Nicolas Cage. Robert Llewellyn. Kate Winslet? <laughs> what is this? What oh, is... I think I've heard of this. It was like a American animated Christmas Carol with like an all-star cast. Oh, okay. So I don't know if the animation was very good. No, it doesn't sound it. Um, he sounds like... I could see him doing it, but I feel like he's too similar to Capaldi. In what regards? The, that he's old? His age, his posture. Like, just looking at... The few, body type. Yeah. He's quite thin. Quite yeah. tall, thin and old. Anyway, he doesn't. I mean, not old, old, but you know what I mean. I mean, I think especially you know, since we know the Doctor doesn't just have to be a white guy now. Exactly. Having, I'm not saying we can't have different types of white guys, but I feel like we, if you're gonna have a white guy, you need to do something different with the white guy. You know. What would What would your suggestion be? Go on. As in a dwarf. Well, we could have you know, perhaps. Like, I don't know, well, like, plus size. We've never had a plus size Doctor. That's true, that's true. Yeah, I feel like he would have been a good contender for 12 as a replacement for Capaldi if Capaldi didn't do it. Mm. But I feel like it would be just a backwards step almost. Yeah. That makes sense, yeah. I feel like it's a bit of a... It wouldn't be breaking the mold it wouldn't be breaking any boundaries exactly it wouldn't right. turn heads what do you think they should do if you're talking if you're talking about breaking boundaries so they had like 12 white dudes and then they've gone with a, a white female with Jody what do you think they would do next do you, I, I, I would be surprised if the next person 
is a dude. I think they should stick with uh, it being played by a female. I think for the longevity of the show, I think that would be a good choice because yeah. then people wouldn't pass, wouldn't, you know, dismiss Jodie as that time they tried casting the a woman. experiment. I hate, <laughs> as I, keep getting... I hate that. I hate that. I've said it before. I don't think you put it in the episode. But <laughs> I hate it when people refer to Jodie as the quote-unquote female experiment <laughs> primarily because women exist <laughs> I don't know just so much of Jodie's performance the vast vast majority of Jodie's performance and her writing and the Floating Doctor has nothing to do with the yeah. fact she's a woman <laughs> yeah like the fact she's a woman hardly ever <laughs> plays into by say, surely by saying it's a female experiment that didn't work, you're then going, well, William Hartner was a male experiment that did work. And you wouldn't say that because it makes no sense. Yeah. God. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I know, but I, I mean, I feel like I'd like to think, though, that um, even if it is a man or perhaps even someone who doesn't... Uh, Assigned to the the binary gender, yeah. Um, like we could have a non-binary actor; it would make sense. Yeah, yeah. It would it'd make more sense than ever now. Um, but I feel like the president's been set with Jodie that the Doctor just doesn't have to be a man, and then with stuff like um, Joe Martin, the Doctor doesn't just have to be white. Yeah, you know, the Doctor now the doors have been blown open; anyone can play this role. And I think that's a great thing, and I hope that's something that future showrunners keep in mind, even if we do return to a white guy. Like you. Like me. Is that why you're saying it? Um. <laughs> I'm here also! I mean, I wouldn't... That would be like one of those pie-in-the-sky dream roles, you know? That's like a... That's like... Well, you've already done your audition for Big Finish, so anything could happen now. My audition for Big Finish? Give me Hungry. Oof. Give me, give me. You've just opened a present. It's from your grandma. It's a it's a Christmas jumper. Your birthday is in September, and it's a medium, and you're an extra large. Give me how you would react to that. Oh, uh, thanks, Gran. That's not how I reacted. When <laughs> <laughs> For context, it was my birthday the other day, and that exact thing happened. Were you? What did she you was. Say? I opened it in the car, and she wasn't there. And I went to my dad. I went. It's a Christmas jumper. He went. That's nice. I went. It's September. And he went. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, yeah why? <laughs> to be fair, in in your grandma's defence, there's not much you can do with a Christmas jumper on Christmas Day. But I see her on Christmas Day. Yeah, but the thing is, if you receive a Christmas jumper on Christmas Day, you can only wear it for one day. That's Whereas, true. Okay, if you I... get it in advance, you can wear it for the whole Christmas season. But I'm gonna see her before then. Before Christmas, why don't you just give it to me like a few days before Christmas? Because it won't be your birthday then. But she doesn't just need to buy me gifts because it's my birthday. She buys me gifts for my grandma. <laughs> Does your grandma buy you a lot of gifts? No, but she tries and pies stuff off for me. I don't know. Have you got any grandparents? Um, now I just have the one. Yeah, I just got the one grandma, and every time I go around, it's like take this can of soup. I'm like, I don't want a can of soup. So like, give it to your mum. I like, don't live with my mum. Stop giving me food, Grandma! Why does Grandma Jeez. not want the soup? I don't know! Every time Did I go around, it's a cup of soup, herself? a pot noodle, a can of soup, some leftover bread, some milk, some orange juice that she's only given me because she can't get the lid off. 
If she purchased it herself, all that stuff, then... Maybe it's because she knows you're a struggling student. I'm clearly not a struggling student. I'm an extra large Christmas jumper size. It's a medium. Do I look like a medium? You would struggle to fit in a medium. A, a medium would be a little big for me. Yeah, exactly. Where's like six foot plus? <laughs> I put it on my mum. You've met my mum. She's at least five foot two. And even that was a struggle. <laughs> anyway, Doctor Who news. Yes. What's next? Did we... I don't think we actually said anything <laughs> about our thoughts on the... Oh, wait, we did. We did. Sorry. I lost we were. Oh, okay. Okay, so now here's the actual big... <laughs> this is the actual news this week. Big news! Come in! Do, do a jingle for big news. Ding dong! Bottom. Chris Reckleston's doing more big finish. Hooray! To be honest, very surprised. Yeah, I was surprised. <laughs> I was very surprised. I assumed that... Um, One and done? Yeah, well, Chris is agreeing to do the uh, series um, was a situation completely of circumstance, you know? It was 2020, pandemic, not much acting work going. Chris Reckleson is a working actor who needs work. I need to feed me family. He's not Cockney, is he? He's from the north. Cockney, he's from the north. I need to feed me family. That's Dudley. Do you do it? I need to feed my fam. That's it, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Chris Chris Eccleston is uh, doing big, more big finish. And uh, yeah, honestly, I thought, yeah, it was just a complete circumstantial thing. He was going to do this one and done. We'd be like, it's nice that this worked out. At least we're getting something positive yeah. out of... Um, COVID. COVID. And now he's back. He's doing more, which I guess means that he liked... Likes working with Big Finish. I saw a quote, and you might have it there, is that when he says, he said, like, the first time he walked into the studio, he, like, looked at the sound guy, and he's like, okay, let's do it. And he just, like, instantly loved playing the Ninth Doctor again, which is great. Um, it also says it's going it's going to be 2022 in, into 2023. Yeah. Which is anniversary territory, um, depending where they go with that. We got another quote from Chris coming up shortly about possibly returning to television work for the 60th. Do you think if he's willing to do Big Finish, there is a possibility for a, a, in which we see a Christopher Eccleston take part in a Big Finish anniversary special for the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who? I think after this, um, if he really did, did enjoy it as much as he said he did... Um, I think that we will be seeing, before we know it, some sort of crossover with another Doctor in Big Finish format. Yeah, same. That's what I'm hoping for. That is honestly what I am hoping for. But it's, it's like, it's, I remember seeing an interview with Paul McGann and he was saying, like, the reason he returned to do his regeneration is because it was the thing that was missing mm. from canon. And I, and I now sort of feel like the thing that's missing is the fact that every Doctor, apart from Jodie at the moment has met another version of the Doctor apart from the Ninth Doctor. Mm. The Ninth Doctor has never met another... I feel like that's the that's now the outlier. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I, I really hope that um, we get something like that. Yeah. Uh, just for Big Finish, or do you think there's a possibility of him doing TV as well? Uh, well? We'll get into that with that next quote. But um, on the next bit of news, anyway. Yeah. But I think there's a possibility of it being Big Finish... And I think it's 
100% more likely that it's going to be a big finish thing than it would be a uh, be a television thing because, just because of the BBC's involvement or lack of involvement anyway additionally what do you think the likelihood is of because we literally know nothing about these upcoming stories do we no nothing what do you think the possibility is of perhaps us getting uh, Billy Piper? Uh, this, this was my next question, and I read the Big Finish article, and there's no mention of anything really. Um, it would be a shame if they never do it. Yeah. I know Billy's done Big Finish stuff with David. Yeah. So I would really l- like to see Rose and Nine back together. Same, same. They are... Um, Nine and Rose is one of my favourite TARDIS pairings. Yeah. I th- it might be my very favourite. Yeah. I just think they have a wonderful chemistry. And I there's a we don't know a ton about Chris's thoughts during the Knife Doctor tenure. Um but we know bits and bobs of course. But one thing we definitely know is that Chris really, really enjoyed working with Billy. And yeah. he thought Billy was great. And you can see that in their scenes together. So I think if the opportunity arises, I don't know how busy um, Billy is. I don't know. Is she doing another series of I Hate Susie? Probably. Probably. It seems like it was pretty well received. Yeah. Um, but if there's time for her to get in that booth and work with Chris, that would be really, really cool. Yeah, I'd love it, yeah. That would be really cool. But, I mean, I'd rather have David and Chris do a little crossover. I feel like I, <laughs> yeah, I feel like we have to work up to that. I feel like... I do, yeah. You can't just go... Yeah, because I feel like if... Okay, so let's say they go, David and Chris, and then they go... Chris and Billy, you get you kind of want the Chris and Billy thing first, because that reunion is special, and then you're getting something you've never had before. What about Chris, David, and Billy? How would that play out? That would, would be that interesting. Work? That would be kind of cool. Yeah, I feel like that introduces a which, lot. Which which version of the Doctor is Rose with? Um, I think she. Or, I think she should be with Nine, and the Ten we're with is a pre-Rose. Rose is already dead. Go on. So, so wait. So you think? <laughs> so the tenth Doctor mm-hmm. meets. So let's say this is tenth Doctor between series three and four. Okay. So when he's lost Rose. Yeah, and he bumps into the ninth Doctor, who is still with Rose. Okay. So he has to watch himself be in love with a woman who he knows is going to die. <laughs> Oof. That's. That's because it's either that, or it's series two, ten and rose with Chris before series one. No, I think you do it. It's it's series one, Chris and Rose, with series two, ten and rose. So it's two roses. Wait, so the (laughs) the whole thing is just like it's billed as like this massive thing. David Tennant, Christopher Eccleston finally beaten, and you play it, and it's just like forty-five minutes of Billy Piper talking to herself. It'd be called A Tale of Two Roses. That's very good. And uh, and in the the I can see the cover. You'd have um, body shots of Chris and I in the front, and then two kind of um, uh, what do you call them? Like kind of slightly faded, like silhouettes. Yeah, not not, but like they're Hologram. like see through. Oh, transparent. Yeah, two kind of translucent transparent yeah. headshots of rose in the background <laughs> and the, the billing is david tennant chris reckleston billy piper billy piper <laughs> with with <laughs> david tennant and chris reckleston with billy piper introducing, introducing billy piper, piper as rose <laughs> again 
Um, yeah, so you mentioned there about Chris possibly returning to television work. Um, about, there, there's one last piece of news, isn't there, about someone asked Chris about returning to the 60th. Is this the Radio Times one? Is this the very last one? I this one so. here, yeah. in which he says it's doubtful. Yes, that's right. Um, which is more promising than... When what, hell what, freezes yeah, over. Yeah, than what he said before. Um, but the, it, what what really annoys me about this whole thing is it's the one problem that is stopping Chris returning and I don't understand why nobody has decided just to fix the one problem. And is that the BBC apologising? Yeah, there's a quote in that article, if you can find it, in which Chris mentions about... Um, the BBC not apologising for what they did about him. <laughs> literally how they screwed him over after Dot Two Series One. Yeah, you got it. Um, let me find it. Um, he agreed. I agreed with Russell that I would go quietly and respectfully. I want to look after the show publicity-wise in terms of publicising it, and then, without saying anything to me, they announced that I was leaving. They didn't tell me they were going to do that. I was walking down the street and suddenly I got quite a lot of aggression. And more importantly, they created a quote and they attributed it to me, which said I was tired. Now the thing about is about that, oh I found it too tiring. I didn't find it too tiring. I found it too tiring to work with Russell and Phil and Julia. I didn't find it physically too tiring. When they said that, any other producer reading that would go, oh we're not going to employ Christopher Eccleston because he gets tired. So it was a lie. And it was in quotation marks. And I'm from Salford. You don't do that to me. <laughs> Is that what he says at the end? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you have lived that little bit. What's interesting about that quote is he just names the people. Hmm. In the past, it's been, I clashed with three people. And we've always sort of gone, I wonder who those were. Hmm. But the fact he's gone, it's Phil, Julian, Russell. It's, I think that's quite interesting now. Yeah. But hmm. then, But they're not involved in the show anymore. I mean, perhaps. But I feel like... So who needs to apologise to Chris? Does... Well, I feel like it was the BBC um, publicity team who issued that, isn't it? So It you... will have been, but Russell will have had to have signed off on it. Okay. Because I watched an interview in which he said he signed off on everything. Like, I think he did an interview with Sue Perkins on her podcast in which he said like he would be up to like, three in the morning watching Totally Doctor Who because he has to sign off on every episode and make sure everything's right. Right. So he will have... I would be very, very surprised if he didn't know about that quote before it went out. Okay, I mean, maybe Russell didn't have the knowledge that it wasn't a real quote from Chris. Maybe that's true, yeah. I believe there's blurred lines, I mean... Mm. Russell always seems like a very nice man. He won't come on the podcast, but I don't... That's because he's super... He's He's not super busy. He won an NTA earlier this week. He can't be that busy. Santa Awards do. He doesn't have half an hour between two months ago and Christmas to jump on Zoom and chat with us two about how much we love his work. I think his agent's lying to us. And he likes every single comment on one of his Instagram posts apart from mine. He knows me and he doesn't like me. (laughs) Alright, Tim. Alright, Tim. I hate my grandma and I hate Russell T. Davies. Tim Tim has a big list of nemeses, <laughs> some of which are involved with Doctor Who. Two of them are. Yeah. Two of them are. Oh, God. Tim, we love Doctor Who, and that's why we hate Doctor Who. I don't hate Doctor Who. Tim's turning into a typical Doctor Who fan. I hate everything. Wish, wish it was like it was when I was a kid. Back in 2005. In 2005, when I liked it. it you weren't better. even watching in 2005. Uh, Your first episode was Doomsday. Yeah, it was. 
That was the best. Went downhill from there with a female experiment. That's right, I'm looking at you, Catherine Tate. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I legitimately don't know how to respond to this. Is there anything else Chris says in there? Um... Let's see. I um, don't. While you look for it, I'm going to say I don't think he will ever return to the show. But I think the fact we get him for bit through big finishes uh, better than nothing. It's, it's like expecting you're going to get a foot long subway sandwich, but you actually get a six inch one, and you thought, oh, damn it, I really wanted a foot long. Okay. But then, yeah, but then you go the six inches at least better than nothing. Mm. Well, basically, just before that, Tris said that his relationship with the BBC hasn't healed so has he done anything for the BBC since I'm sure he did a drama what's that autistic one the A word that's BBC isn't it I think so and I think he did a series called Come Home which was also BBC I'm going to look at his IMDB I'm sure he has worked with the BBC since but I think Doctor Who (laughs) is the sticking point specifically if you google Christopher Eccleston the second thing listed on this thing is Day of the Doctor Really? So he wasn't even in. Yeah. Well, he, they used like um, two seconds of him, didn't they? And all for me next trick. That was it. Yeah. Let me have a look. And you can tell it's a lower camera quality. <clears throat> the A word, yeah, BBC. Danger Mouse, BBC. He was in Danger Mouse. He played Jay Wollington Sham in one episode in 2018. I I don't know uh, Danger Mouse lore. Well enough <laughs> to, uh... Safe House was that BBC? That was uh, more ITV. He's been in a lot of stuff. For the Dark World. I think he really liked that. Blackout, BBC. The Shadowline, BBC. Accused. Is that what you were talking about? No, it's called Come Home, I think. Lennon Naked. Oh, yeah, that was one where he played John Lennon. Yeah. So he's done a lot of stuff for the BBC anyway, but... Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I think just Doctor Who specifically must be the sticking point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any other news, Harry, or is that is That, that was all of the news which you sent me. Uh, we could Do we want to talk about the vaguely um, Doctor Who-related TV winners, NTA winners? David Tennant won an award for Des. Did uh, he win Best Drama? Yeah, Russell T. Davis won... Uh, oh, yeah, well, it's, it's a sin the show won Best Drama, so it was a collective thing. Was Doctor Who nominated for anything? I don't think... Because I've voted for the NTAs, I always vote for the NTAs because I just don't want Mrs. Brown's boys to win, as we mentioned every year. Luckily, this year it wasn't even nominated. But I re- there hasn't been any. There hasn't been any Mrs. Brown's boys this past. There's year. never been Mrs. Any, any Mrs. Brown's boys, but it's always it's always there at the NTAs. I don't was know why. There, was there even a Christmas special this year? Yeah, there was. Yeah, Mrs. Is- Brown's boys. Didn't we find out one week that Mrs. Brown's boys has, <laughs> has a, almost uh, as many Christmas specials as it does actual regular? Episodes. <laughs> I'll have a look. But I think there's more episodes of Mrs. Brown's Boys that are, yeah, you're right. They're more like holiday specials than regular episodes. Okay, so there's... Okay, so I want you to start adding these up. Are you ready, Harry? Okay. Um, series 1 had six episodes. Okay. Series 2 had six episodes. 12. And then Series 3 had six episodes. Um, 18. Okay, and then there was a one... So there was Christmas special in 2011... There was two Christmas specials in 2012. There was two Christmas specials in 2013. Two Christmas specials in 2014. Two Christmas specials in 2015. Only the one in 2016. But then two Christmas specials in 2016. Two in 2017. Two in 2018. Two in 2019. Two in 2020. One in 2021. Uh, then there was a, a, a Halloween one in 2021. And then two Christmas ones in 2021 again. That's 23 holiday specials. 
<laughs> and how many episodes where you had up a series was there? Eighteen. Oh my, that's and even terrible. if you move the Halloween episode, so it's nineteen. <laughs> okay, let's move the Halloween. The Halloween special and the summer special, by the looks of it. Okay, um, which brings it down by two, two. to twenty-one, and the other one up to twenty. That's re- there's twenty-one Mrs. Brownsboy's Christmas specials and twenty. <sighs> non-Christmas specials. I mean, everybody knows how much I hate Mrs. Brown's Boys. I generally despise it. I've, I don't, can't remember the last time I watched it. Usually by the time Mrs. Brown's Boys comes on, me and my brother on Christmas Day have, like, s- sneaked into the other room to play video games. Yeah, usually doing something else, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I used to really like the Big Bang Theory, and I watched that a couple of weeks ago. I just can't stand it. I liked it, like, when I first saw yeah. it, when I was a kid. Um... It isn't my kind of humour, but it clearly appeals to someone. I was watching it, I'm like, there's nothing funny about this. You're just laughing because he said Picard. But he says it in this funny way. Sheldon's like, Jean-Luc Picard! Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant! Uh, do you want to segue into the episode, Harry? Yes. Um, what is it? <laughs> uh, last week was Unicorn and the Wasp, oh, right? It's libraries. Yeah. Go on. Um, you know, it's a good thing we're doing this in a uh, in a car, Tim. Why is that, Harry? Because there are some places where if we were as loud as we have been this week, um, we would be told you have to be quiet. Well, you know, they expect a level of silence in the library, for instance. Yep, good. And the next one, Forest of the Dead. Um, <laughs> well, actually, we're actually we actually parked up outside uh, of some. Uh, well, it's not... It's like woods. a woodland. Yeah, some, like, grassy bushes and stuff. Although, you know, it's pretty rainy and miserable, so it's a pretty... The atmosphere's pretty dead. You could describe it as a forest of the dead. Those weren't too bad. They weren't. I feel like... I wish I could have found a way to work them both together at once, <laughs> but that's not really... wasn't really possible. That's true. Enjoy the episode, everybody. Shut up! Shut up! Shut the up, up, up! Humans are better in one respect. You are better at subscribing. Seek, locate, subscribe. What's the point in having you all? There was lots of exciting news this week. If you thought last week's episode was half-assed, you are in for a treat today, everybody. Um, due to our ever-growing busy schedule, because we're just such a pair of busy boys, um, we've taken the decision to record this week's watch along segment at half past eight in the morning. On a on a on a Tuesday morning, I've got to head to Manchester shortly. Harry's got like proper jobs to do, um, so here we are talking about uh, two episodes of Doctor Who. What are they called, Harry? The Silence in the Library and the Forest of the Dead by uh, Stephen Moffat. Yeah, now. From the get-go, uh, we're going to do Silence of the Library. I noticed these are very strong um, Moffat-themed episodes. You could tell from the very start that these were Moffat episodes. There's a little girl character, it's very common, with Madame de Pompadour and a young Amy Pond. Um, he likes. He, he seems to like his young female leads, especially with likes of Sally Sparrow and characters like that. It's set in a library, which seems like a very Moffat thing, you know, endless stories and endless time in stories and things like that. 
Uh, what else do I have here? And, like, the whole thing is based around a child's imagination. That seems like a very Moffat thing to do as well. Yeah, um, I'm just wondering, because this is something that will obviously feed into what we see later in the episode. Had Moffat been confirmed to be the next showrunner by the time that this came out? Because obviously there's certain elements within this episode that kind of come back in his run. Yeah, there is. Um, I don't know. I want to say no. Um, but I did write down here that this is almost a glimpse of what David Tennant's fifth series could have... Uh, sorry, Doctor uh, Who Series 5 with David Tennant could have looked like, which is something yeah. that, you know, we did that... We've done a video on that, so go check that out if you want to. But it does seem sort of disconnected from the rest of the series, these two episodes, because it is really setting up um, something that is to come over the next two series in which none of the on-screen talent and a lot of the -the behind-the-scenes writing staff aren't going to be there for anymore. Hmm. Yeah, totally. Even I even felt like looking at it, like the the whole like blue tint of the episode, it was all very futuristic of what's to come with Matt Smith. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, thing that you pointed out. It's, um, yeah, aesthetically, the thing that I did notice is that just the whole um, setting of the library feels like, especially coming off something like uh, Blink in the last series, which is obviously the Doctor-like, the low-budget episode, this is clearly the polar opposite. This feels like it was one of these stories that kind of got priority in the production schedule. It has yeah, like these definitely. huge CGI landscapes, um, you know, I guess quite uh, Star Wars in that sense, in the same way that kind of New Earth was. Um, yeah. Well, I wonder then if they did know that, or if it had been enough. They they must have known Moffat was in talks to, at least in talks to take over from Russell, because otherwise they wouldn't have given one of his episodes, you know, such a priority. My understanding from what I've seen of Moffat interviews is that while he hadn't been confirmed or he hadn't had any kind of conversation, it was kind of this unspoken thing that when Russell left, he would probably be the next one to take the reins just because his stories were so beloved and so strong that it just made sense for him to be the next showrunner. Yeah, yeah. So before we get any further and before we forget, Harry, what did you think of Silence in the Library? Just Silence of the Library? Yeah, we'll do Silence of the Library, then we'll go on, go on, go on into Forest of the Dead. I think it's uh, very cool, very uh, unsettling um, episode, but unsettling in a very cool way. It kind of is able to unnerve you in a way that only Moffat can, suddenly making you very kind of aware and tuned into things that you aren't usually. Very much the kind of stuff like counting the shadows and setting that up, suddenly you kind of watch the screen in a way that you just yeah. don't really do with any other episodes. You're just hyper aware of the lighting and the shadows. And that's something that usually we take for granted. But here, it forces you to take attention, you know, your attention is drawn to it. And the whole yeah, thing um, with the uh, kind of framing device with Dr. Moon and the girl seeing the library is all very intriguing. And it's all very confusing. And they don't, he doesn't pl- give away his hand too early. He waits until the very, very end yeah. 
this two-parter for it to all make sense. And it kind of keeps you guessing and figuring things out throughout, which I thought yeah. was very cool. I like that you had that level of kind of faith in the audience for us to stick with these kind of abstract, on the at first hand abstract uh, kind of concepts and storytelling devices until it yeah. was revealed what was happening. Yeah, that's, that is one thing I wanted to talk about is the fact that it is a two-parter and in the past I've been critical of two-parters often saying that the story does feel dragged out and I'll, I'll repeat myself with that. I did feel a lot of this first episode as a lot of character stuff sort of establishing each character, introducing them, a lot of questions asked but not a lot answered until those last sort of ten minutes where, you know, the character of Dr. Moon goes and has a conversation with the young little girl and reveals it is all real, don't listen to your dad. Uh, you know, it's all real and they do need your help. And I, I would be lying if I said up to that point I was somewhat disappointed with this episode because I knew it brought it brought in River and it brought in these, this other fun team and it was, you know, a big thing that was going to be setting up for the future of Doctor Who. And I was sort of watching it going, oh yeah, this is the library one, I remember most of this. But I'd completely forgotten about that twist. And then it happened and I suddenly got very excited about it and it was just, you know... Something that I think Moffat does very well is he um what's what's it I was trying to say? Like you expect one thing from the episode and all of a sudden there's a very quick U turn and we're going in a different direction. Or he or he leads you on to believe we're doing something else. And then yeah. suddenly goes, Actually no, no, everybody's lying and this is true or whatever. I think that sort of stuff in Moffat's episodes is great. Yeah, he likes to keep you guessing. I think Yeah. I appreciate that in this episode. Um Yeah. Without giving too much away about my thoughts on the Moffat era, I think that I can think of at least one instance off the top of my head where I feel like once we get into his era, he perhaps pushes the boundaries yeah, of yeah. that a little <laughs> too far to the fact, like to a point where it kind of hurts my head a little bit to keep track of what's going on. Yeah, um, I think I, think I know I think what you're talking just, about. Yeah, <laughs> but here he gets the balance just right. I think yeah. this is kind of just the right level yeah before we get on to river let's talk about uh there's a really good scene in this with donna which i don't know i only just caught it in which um the doctor grabs donna and pulls her out of a shadow at one point or he says i'll be careful of the shadow i I believe that's what he does and Mm -hmm. donna smacks him and she goes watch your hands or something like that and I thought that was a, it's such a throwaway line very quickly. Or she goes like, uh, hands or something like that. As in, get your hands off me. Yeah. Compared to Rose and Martha and what their reaction would have been to David Tennant's doctor grabbing them and moving them around the room. I think it really just set aside like the, this character of Donna and that sort of, you know, she has lived her life. She's matured as, a, as an actual human woman. But, you know, it sort of shows that then just because you've matured as a human and you've experienced stuff as a, as, a, as an actual human doesn't mean that this alien life won't, you know, sort of expand your mind, sort of. So the whole thing of sort of, they are just mates, I think was quite refreshing, mm. actually. Yeah, I mean, it's something I've meant to bring up kind of with every, pretty much every episode of this watch along, because it's something that is in almost every script um, so far in this series, where at some point there's some sort of allusion to the fact that someone mistakes the Doctor and Donna for a couple. Yeah. And they both very quickly shoot it down. Be like, oh no, yeah. we're mates. They 
pretend to be brother and sister or something like that. Yeah. But they're very quick to shoot down. And not in a kind of will they, won't they type thing. Where things like, no, no, we're not like that. We're, we're literally pals. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk about the Doctor's actual future partner, uh, River Song. Spoilers, if for some reason you're you mean her, his, his past partner. Ah, uh, shut up. Get it? Because <laughs> time travel. Um, let's talk about the character of River Song. When she was first introduced in this episode, and you watched it go out live, did, like me, you instantly just assumed that she was a future version, a future Doctor's wife? I didn't really... I honestly don't remember what my thoughts were on River Song when I first saw her. Oh, really? Honestly, when she came... I Look, I was a... Uh, I was like a what eight year old kid at the time. <laughs> I'm I've never been very good at remembering faces and names. I'm pretty sure that when River Song came back in That's series true. five, I'd forgotten who she was. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> okay um, then. So um okay, so in hindsight, watching it back, knowing the future of this character, how do you feel about seeing her first on screen appearance? Because I was slightly my emotions to it were different to what I was expecting, but I want to hear what you have to say first. Yeah, I was actually quite surprised at how impactful it was. And also, I have to really commend Moffat, because um, it's impossible to talk about River Song's instruction here <laughs> without the hindsight of her whole arc throughout the Moffat era. Yeah. And I have to say, I was really very impressed at how even though I've been ahead and watched all of that um, before coming back to this how kind of consistent this felt with the River Song we had seen throughout the Moffat era and this really did feel like and I have to hand it to Alex Kingston as well, as well as Moffat's writing that it did genuinely feel watching Alex Kingston's performance that River Song, the character, had experienced all of these things with the Doctor that we are yet to see. And the yeah. fact that she said that, despite the fact those stories hadn't even been written yet at this point, she hadn't, she had no idea what was coming ahead. She just had, you know, a couple of um, throwaway lines referencing certain bits and bobs, like the singing towers, yada yada. Mm. And the fact that she really sells that those are things that she experienced with the doctor i'm just really really impressed and i think think it gave me a whole new appreciation for the storytelling of river song that i didn't have until coming back to this episode yeah i found it strange seeing david tennant and river song together Mm -hmm. i mean that was a pairing that we only see once i know there was recently a big finished story but you know what i mean i i so heavily associate river with matt smith and a little bit with Capaldi. Um, so seeing her with David, I think it's quite... It's it's interesting. It's really weird, sort of. It's it's like seeing Luke Skywalker... I'm doing it again. It's like seeing... I'm trying to think of two... I want to think of something that isn't Star Wars that I could talk about. It was like when Futurama crossed over with The Simpsons. It was weird, but we liked it. I didn't see that episode. Is that a Simpsons episode or a Futurama episode? Uh, I think it's a Simpsons episode. Oh. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but you know what I mean? It's it's strange seeing those two versions interact with each other. And I would be 
interested in maybe when we finish some of this is doing a river song thing and watching hair stuff chronologically instead of mm. from the doctor's point of view finding out what episode we need to watch in what order for river song to have her story um, played out because this would be the last yeah well that's the thing because watching this episode when river song entered suddenly because i had the familiarity of the history of river song when I was viewing that scene when i viewed it for the first time um, I very much viewed it through the doctor's lens of like, who's this weird woman who's acting all strangely around me yeah. as if she knows me and being flirtatious. Whereas this time I was watching it entirely through River's perspective and her point of view and how weird it must have been for her, for the doctor to interact with her in this way, because she'd assume that he knows her. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's clever though, but isn't it? That's, especially that's... the scene with the diary when um, she's going through it all and yeah. she kind of she's slowly realizing he doesn't know who I am, and you can see it, how yeah. that hurts her. It's a very and small how... diary for a man who's nearly a thousand years old. Um, maybe she writes in very small writing. We never see the uh, inside of it. That's true. That's true. Um, did Alex Kingston actually write things in that diary? I think I heard that somewhere. Yeah, well, I think we did a video on it when we did the new stuff that she did a thing because she recently had the her book out, um, and in it she did like a few promo videos and she talks about. I think if in the actual diary the production team had wrote in very vague references to stuff Moffat had mentioned in the script. And maybe a few extra Easter eggs for stuff that would be revealed and stuff. So I think that's kind of cool. I don't know if Kingston herself wrote anything in it, but um, I know there there was stuff in that diary. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Mm. Just stuff we never get to see. Uh, Yeah, I'm just going to apologise in advance. If I'm coughing and spluttering and maybe um, snorting and you can hear some background noise, I've, uh, I've had to open my window and I'm full of cold this early in the morning. I'm currently enjoying a nice cup of tea. Um... How do you feel so far, Harry, about doing one of these early ones? It's not that bad. It's not that bad. I actually rather like it. I don't know. Oh, okay. Might have to do it again. Um, mm. Harry, what's a Vastra Narasha? What, what, what's one of them? Uh, is it, is this an early quiz? Or no, it's just a this... genuine question. <laughs> is that a planet or something? Or is that the one? I can't remember. I, I think it was the monster thing that hides in the dark, but I didn't really get it. And I feel that's something maybe Moffat struggles with a little bit. Is usually there's a very interesting key element of these episodes, and something like the monster sometimes gets pushed to a side, um, especially when you look at something like the not the fires of Pompeii, um, the girl in the fireplace. Those clockwork droids are there, but I'm not really apart from the physical appearance of them. I'm not that interested in them. I'm more interested in how the how the fireplace works and the character of Madame de Pompadour herself and. Doctor's relationship with that character. He seems to be a very good character to build relationships upon. Uh, sorry, a very good writer to, you know, flesh out relationships. And I feel sometimes key elements of Doctor Who, you know, the monsters and stuff like that, maybe sometimes get pushed aside. Obviously, that's not always true with stuff like uh, The Empty Child, but that's just. And Blink. Thing. Yeah, and Blink, of course, yeah. Blink, Blink's a good yeah. hybrid of those two things. You have Sally and Larry who get on, you know, their relationship is really well fleshed out. And obviously then you've got the Weeping Angels as well. But then again, I like how vague... I think the vagueness of the Weeping Angels helps. You don't really mm. know where they're from sort of thing. So I quite like that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I feel like part of the fear factor of the Weeping Angels comes 
and also the empty child in the first part the fear comes from just that ambiguity of what they are you mm. you don't know exactly what they are but you know what they'll do to you and i feel like that kind of adds to it maybe i mean yeah maybe, maybe the uh monster here would have been more effective if we didn't know exactly what it was whereas of course because we've got the doctor who has this encyclopedic knowledge of so much of space and time you can immediately identify what it is yeah yeah exactly yeah more... what do you think to uh Stephen Moffat liking to put David Tennant on a screen. In Blink, we got him talking to everybody through a, through a laptop, and in this episode, we have him talking to everybody through a television screen when he's talking to the little girl. Yeah, that, that was. I found that to be a very fun kind of because obviously the whole framing of the girl in her kind of living room, um, watching on the TV screen. I find it very entertaining, especially, I remember there was one point, I think it was in Forest of the Dead, where she's just watching the action, and here she's reacting to it, like, I think it's a bit where the doctor's hanging on to the library, and she kind of, like, gives yeah. a laugh. It's like, ah, it's like an actual kid watching Doctor Who. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's good, yeah, I never thought of it like that, but that's good. Uh, I want to get onto that more in the next one, but before we move on to Forest of the Dead... Um, anything that we haven't mentioned about Silence in the Library? Oh, let's talk about the the, the girl who dies, Towie. Um, the only way is Essex oh, yeah. her. Um, she's an interesting character, but I hate the line where they where she says they think I'm stupid because I'm pretty. Um, I feel you wouldn't know that. Do you know what I mean? If you were that person, you wouldn't think. Uh, everybody thinks I'm stupid because I'm pretty. I don't. I like. I know very pretty people who have that sort of the only way is Essex representation about them, but they don't. I don't feel like they know that everybody knows that about them because I don't know. I felt it was a weird juxtaposition of a sentence. They think I'm stupid because I'm pretty. Nobody thinks they're stupid, really, do they? Do you not think so? Do you not think there are some people who have that sort of insecurity about themselves? I don't know. I don't know if it's an insecure... But then again, is she stupid? Because she went for a dump and ended up in an escape shoot twice. So maybe she just isn't that suited to, to this job. No, I, I, yeah, I guess, I guess just, she's, <laughs> she's just really beating herself up about it. Because when she's surrounded by people who are really competent at what they're doing, and maybe it's just not a fit for you, but you're surrounded by people who know what you're doing, it will make you feel comparatively stupid. Yeah, that's okay, fair enough. And also, um, Although it, it is weird that I mean, I, I guess it makes sense the whole thing that, um, I, I, it is kind of you know, if you try to analyze the line, they think I'm stupid because I'm pretty, it doesn't make it, it doesn't make sense if you try to break it down. But I think that's kind of the point on an emotional level, it worked for me, and I understood. Yeah how she came to that conclusion. Although it is yeah. weird, especially when you compare it to um, the fact that, you know, we've got a very smart character, probably the second smartest character in the room of Riversong, who is, as Moffat has described in interviews, a really sexy woman. <laughs> Sorry, I had to mention that line. because I, I love that, funny. I love that. What, what if for context, doctor, there was an interview but she's a woman and she's sexy. <laughs> yeah, but... I, I, I just I need to explain the context for this because it's just something I've been waiting to choose the context for because it's so, I find it 
weirdly amusing. I don't know why. Um, yeah, go on. It's just the way that Moffat said it. Um, that um, when creating Science of the Library, he's had conversations with Russell about wouldn't it be cool if I introduced this character? We introduced this character who um, has met the Doctor before, but the Doctor hasn't met them yet. And they like that idea. And Russell thought it was cool. And then Moffat said, "And what if? What if it was a really sexy woman?" And wouldn't that be funny because she'd be flirting with the doctor and he wouldn't know how to react. And I, I get the logic he was coming from, but um, the way that kind of Moffat introduced it made me think, do you think it would be funny, Moffat? Or do you just want to put a sexy woman on the screen? <laughs> it's very true. And it's, very true. I mean, it's something I, mean... I, I can't help but think about it, like, especially when we get to the Moffat era. And we get characters such as Amy Pond and Clara Oswald. And that Moffat logic crosses my mind each time. It's like, <laughs> are you doing are you doing the River Song thing again, Moffat? Are you I, I are remember you, hearing him casting describe... really attractive women because yeah. you think it'll be funny, funny? Or do you just want to but... cast attractive women? What are you <laughs> I saw a thing where I think he was asked about if he'd ever considered replacing a male doctor with a female doctor. I think it was in that Who show interview. It's the same interview, actually. Mm. Um, and he says that he couldn't. Re- he didn't want to replace David with a woman because the show had been, so, you know, was such a hit with David that something like that could have really thrown it off kilter straight away. Um, so I think he. And then and then he went on to describe that the the most realistic time you could have done it was after Matt. Uh, because he described Matt's doctor as a sexless doctor, which maybe one makes me think: is that why he then casts, you know, char- well, or creates, you know, characters who tend to be attracted to the doctor and just sort of bemuse the eleventh doctor? Did he know mm-hmm. that's what he was going to do? Yeah, because I have. Um, but it is funny. It is <laughs> There's it's, it's, it's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack. And I know people who have, um, who do kind of identify the uh, 11th Doctor as uh, asexual in that yeah. way. Um, yeah. I've also heard him uh, described as demisexual, which is slightly different. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is something because I feel like there isn't, I mean, we're getting uh, way ahead of ourselves. I just love the idea that there's a BBC meeting somewhere and they're they're all like trying to pitch ideas and every single one of Stephen Moffat just ends with, but she's a woman and she's sexy and everyone goes, ah, again, again, Stephen. It'd be really funny because the doctor will know how to react to a sexy woman. (laughs) He's on the table, his arms are going, he's like squatting, he's getting so excited. He's like, uh, he's like, not, he's like that guy from Looney Tunes with the guns. You know, the guy, the guy with the big mustache and the guns. He's Sam. Like, yeah, he's like, big pew. <laughs> this is a very bizarre image of Stephen Moffat that we're painting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Harry, before we go on to Forest of Dead, anything we haven't mentioned? Um, what are your feelings on the faces on the rotate, the rotating faces? Oh yeah, Spoon Donna. Yeah, this is a bit weird, isn't it? It doesn't really bother me. It's a little bit unsettling, isn't it? I don't know. I didn't really feel that unnerved by it because I think it's so removed. If it was the other way round and there was a, a person walking around with a spoon head, maybe. So you're saying you'd rather have had like a human body with a spoon <laughs> for a head? Yeah, that would have been more unsettling, I feel. I just found that funny. 
It's like, oh, <laughs> I missed the spoon. Oh, yeah, if they spoke like that, then yeah, but definitely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Just like the, the, just endless walking into the walls. And every time one of the characters looks at them, they're just bemused by their upside-down reflection. And I make all kind of sp- spoon puns. Hey, get a load of this scoop. <laughs> um, Harry, let's do the quiz. You, you, not me. I hate being patient. Patience is for wimps. Okay. Uh, that was a good build-up, as always. Uh, question number one. Um, when they when they land on the in the library, they are near the equator. And how does what what book section or genre is near the equator for the doctor to work that out? He goes, "We're near blank." Oh yeah, well done. <laughs> One out of four. Well done. Question two: um, The doctor can't use his sonic screwdriver on the wooden door, right? But what is the cause for the door being stuck to start with? I can't remember, was something wedged in it or something? Oh, no, I'm not going to give you that. The, the wood was warped. Uh, I was like, was this the first mention of the screwdriver not working on wood? No, I think there's an echo. There's a, no, there's, it's in, uh, what you would call it, um, the one with the wire. The wire? What's that? The, feed me. That one. Oh, um, the... Uh, Idiot's Lantern. Idiot's Lantern. Yeah, I think it gets mentioned in there. Okay. Um, so it's who invented that. Yeah, the first time we see one of these spoon heads, um, it's a male. He identifies himself. What's his name? Darren. Oops, Mark. Oh, my God, this week. After such a flying results last week as well. Um... Steve Pemberton's in this episode. His character tells how many generations of his family he took to decode the library. How many generations did it take? Five? Uh, three. You got one. One out of four. That's absolutely terrible. Mm. When did you watch these episodes? Yesterday? Yeah, last night. Yeah, I did as well. I got into bed and I was off to sleep and I suddenly went, oh, balls. <laughs> I haven't watched those episodes yet. I had to get back up and sit in bed and just frantically try and find interesting things to talk about. But anyway, let's go to Forest of the Dead. Um, it was at this point I realised Moffat likes his catchphrases. Don't blink. Are you my mummy? Um, hey, who spoilers. turned out the lights? Yeah, spoilers. He likes his lines, doesn't he? Mm. Um, he does. He likes, yeah, the uh, the repeated meme. Yeah. Said. <laughs> um, one thing I really like about Forest of the Dead, and I wish maybe they had built up upon it, was the idea of Martha, of Martha, of Donna's second life. You know, she has these kids, she has her husband, um, who's weirdly called Lee Mackery, is which is too similar to Lee Mack. Um, <laughs> what did you think to that whole aspect of this? Because I don't have many what's notes your, of Forest of the Dead. What, what's but, your issue with it? Do you think? Do you feel like it was like too rushed or what? What that that no, I I I would like to see more. I feel like you could have done a full episode on this, and that sort of I feel they do do that a little bit in series five with the Dream Lord episode, Amy's Choice, with Toby Jones. You know that whole thing of mm. 
is it the future or is it a dream sort of thing that Amy and Rory are living in? But okay, I feel I mean, like she... I would have liked to have seen more of that family and more of, you know, her coming to understand that it's not real. Because that's really impactful. That scene where the kids say, when you when you close your eyes, it's like we're not here. And then she just turns her head and they're gone. And you don't notice it straight away. And then suddenly the music changes and you go, oh shit, yeah, the kids are dead. Um, I'm in two minds about this. Um, in one mind, yes, it's kind of, it's a really cool and freaky concept. And it is kind of strange that it's just thrown in here with yeah. all these other ideas. Because that's the thing, like, these, this story is packed, absolutely packed with all these different ideas and elements. And it, it's almost as if Moffat's writing this as if he's never going to have another the Doctor Who story because it's so full of ideas, some of which, many of which he brings back down the line. Um, and I feel I like he was really heart. setting out his stall, maybe. He was going, this is what to expect. This is uh, this is kind of like his proposal for if I'm showrunner, here's all all the shit you can expect. Yeah, maybe. it's a good job he got the gig. Mm. Otherwise, I think our <laughs> review of this would be very different. What do you think though to this life that Donna has? Would you not like to have seen sort of a bit more of that fleshed out? Or well, the thing is, kind of part of the <clears throat> point of it is that it's very rushed. Kind of they make a very pointed thing of like whenever they go to a different place like Dr. Moon like fills in the gaps in her head yeah, yeah. and stuff like that so in a sense it's kind of intentionally rushed through in that yeah. way and I feel like I feel like for me that works and it helps add to the kind of artificiality of that TV world yeah um, and I feel like um, while it could have felt like you said rushed I feel like Catherine Tate did a great job at kind of selling her own investment in this world, even yeah. if it feels for us. And it's a, it positions us in a very interesting place as an audience because kind of we see that she's happy in this world. She's happy with this husband and these children. But at the same time, we want her back in the real world. We want her reunited with the Doctor and on those adventures mm. that we love, even though we can see how much this life means to her. And even yeah, once I... she's out of it, she, you can tell she's not really all right about it. Like she, you, you can tell that she feels like she's lost. Something. I like the. I like it when she starts to realize where she's sort of going. And then we did this, and then we had ice cream, and we did this, and then go needed. And you, you, she knows she did it, and she's just making it up. Yeah, like you can see there, like with each kind of transition, you can tell she's just not convinced by it, and it's falling apart. But. She's yeah. developed this emotional attachment and she doesn't want to let go of that because, you know, in her mind up until that point, she's had children, she's raised children and she doesn't want yeah. to lose that. Um, I, let me just try and find it here. Um, this, oh, Apologies if you can hear some background noise from my PC. Um, where am I going here? Let me have a browse around on my computer. I'm just going to have to move you slightly, Harry. Um, I spoke... The character of Lee, her husband in this has uh, a stutter which, you know, she picks up on and I think is dealt with in a, in a really good way in the episode. And uh, I was speaking to Harrison, who I co-host the podcast with sometimes when Harry's not around. And I want to talk to Harrison about it because Harrison does have a stutter and it was quite interesting to see that this is the first sort of representation of something like that within Dot 2. And, I, and he very kindly sent over a little thing. I'm going to attempt to read out 
Uh, bear with me, dyslexic with a slightly blocked nose and a cold, so uh, do bear with. It says, One area that Dot 2 exceeds in the universe appeals to everybody. To see an actor who me, myself, can relate to in popular culture with a stutter is proud and great. That's one thing that makes Dot 2 great, is that the series, is that as series 12 says, it's all about... Hang on, one second. I should have really read this before. I, I'm not doing Harrison Justice at all here. Uh, it's nice to see people like myself appear in the media. I love, I love in. Uh, oh, here we go. This isn't good. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have read this, Harry. I'm already regretting this. It's nice to see people like myself appear in the media. Um, uh, yeah, a basic. I, I'm not going to read this whole thing because it does go on a bit, Harrison. You should have really kept this down to a minimum for a dyslexic. Uh, but basically, saying how good it is to see himself represented or see people of disability represented in Dot Two, even if it be. A non-visible one, um, you know. You know, it's not somebody in a wheelchair or somebody with. There's not something physical that you really pick up on. Um, you know, it's saying how it, the representation of seeing people like this in Doctor it means they don't define you from being different. Um, it also encourages people who are interested in this sort of stuff to pursue careers in front and behind the camera. Um, apologies, there, Harrison. I completely butchered your lovely thing. But, you know, it is half past nine in the morning. <laughs> we tried to be profound for a shot about the time on Big On The Inside podcast, but it didn't work. <laughs> that's really that's really lovely to hear. Um, as to be honest, I've never actually had any kind of conversation with Harrison because, uh, like Tim said, <laughs> he's only on the podcast when I'm when not. When you're not. <laughs> um, but uh, listen, I, I had no idea that Harrison had... Um, any kind of stutter or anything like that um i couldn't have i couldn't tell from the podcasts with him i'd listened to um i have to say i was interested when watching this episode to one because i thought that the use of that character was effective within the episode and the way that it was used really worked um yeah i did wonder how someone who experienced that in real life would react to it and how they felt so it's very it's very good to hear that it felt like a very genuine meaningful representation yeah i think dots who i, I may be slightly controversial what i'm going to say this i think it either hits the point exactly or it sort of does the opposite you know i mentioned that i'm dyslexic and there is an episode in series five i want to oh. say yeah. yeah, you know what I'm going to say, there's that little kid, isn't there? And I think it's the, uh, um, not the Sea Devils, what they call they they look like the Sea Devils, the lizard, the Silurians. So, and yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's when they return, it's a chimney episode, and someone, one of the kids there mentions he's dyslexic, and the doctor's like, oh, don't worry about it, it's cool, you'll be fine, or, you know, whatever. And that, that was cool when I was like, I was maybe a bit older at the time, but I was like, oh, it's kind of neat to see that finally mentioned in the show. But then there's a future episode, it's also a Matt Smith one, where someone in the future is going to have a kid and the doctor says, he's going to be dyslexic, but don't worry about that or don't let that bother you. And I'm like, but the way the line is worded and delivered made it sound as if, oh, everybody would be worried, but don't be. Rather than just going, it's fine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I thought, I always found it was slightly misplaced. I know kind of like the most prominent example of that is... uh series 11 and 12 where ryan had a dyspraxia and it was yeah. something that was very noted and felt especially in series 11 but i know that some people have criticized it 
as it went on for becoming less and less of a prominent thing. But I've not yeah. actually heard I've not actually heard anything from people with dyspra- dyspraxia and how they felt about that representation. Maybe mm. they appreciate the fact that it didn't define the characters that went on and it didn't That's true, inhibit yeah. him from doing things. But I, I, it's yeah. a conversation I'd need to actually have with someone with dyspraxia to know how they felt about Ryan's portrayal. Yeah, definitely. Um, the character of Dr. Mooney gets more play in this, and it got me thinking, I think that actor, um, I'm familiar with his name, would have made a great doctor. That's interesting. Yeah. Because it's a Maybe minor just... enough part for it not to, for you not really to remember it. It's not like they're going, and oh, now Billy Piper's the doctor. It's this guy from those two episodes ten years ago or whatever. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And, I mean, it's hard, for me, it's hard to tell. I'm sure you'd have the range for it. In this episode, the kind of, the doctor character he's playing is a very kind of, um, paternal um reassuring calming uh figure who's kind of there to kind of you know oversee everyone and make sure they're okay and i really like the fact that kind of they use the um metaphor for it kind of being he's a he's a literal <coughs> in the library is a literal created moon to watch over this child yeah and i thought that's very that's a very moffat image but it's very impactful and it clearly communicates kind of what his role is in a very yeah. in a in a very understandable way. Um yeah. I, I I couldn't just judging from this episode I need to see more of his work because like I said he was playing a very calming, soothing figure. And I think the doctor needs a bit of fire in his belly. Well I, I sort of picked up on that from that bit where he goes at the end of the last episode where he goes, it's all real and there is that sudden sort of change like it's like suddenly he gets mm. quite serious about it, so I feel like he could do it. I mean, he's been in stuff yeah, yeah. since. Like, I think he's been in Arrow and stuff like that. And I think uh, I was I was looking it up last night. And he recently have, he like got really sick with COVID as well. So I hope he's doing oh, okay. Uh, is he all right? I hope so. Yeah, he said he was okay. I think he was like one of those people who came close to death but didn't die. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Well, yeah. It would have been a strange response if you said, huh. <laughs> I never understand the thank goodness thing. You know when you when you tell someone that someone's okay, they go, "Oh, thank goodness." Like, what? I don't feel like you needed to respond. Like, you, you knew what your reaction was going to be. Do you know what I mean? If you went, "Oh, really?" Then I would. That would be a conversation piece. But the fact that you just went, "Oh, that's good." Like, well, yeah, of course it is. Don't I mean, it that. is good. It is good. It is good that they're alive. No, I'm not saying it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's a line in this where I thought, how did we not pick up on that when this episode airs? Which is um, when Steve Pemberton's character goes, you're bickering like an old married couple, and the Doctor and River both look at each other like, oh no. <laughs> Ruh-roh. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. And it's, it's fun. Yeah. Like, and you can see the way that the two characters look at each other and respond differently to it. Like, the Doctor's very much, wait, is that, are we married? And River kind of looks at him very knowing, like, Yeah. Yeah. Does does um because Matt Smith's doctor fancies Clara, but when he regenerates into Capaldi, he tells her he doesn't fancy her anymore because he's a different person. So is it just blind luck that every incarnation of the Doctor has had somewhat of a of a crush on River Song? That's interesting. Or or, or does it go to set apart that River Song is a completely different character and that? You know, it's not just your looks. I guess it's the idea that kind of 
I mean, I'm going to move back to this thing um, with uh, Matt Smith. I, I, I brushed upon it before that the 11th Doctor has kind of an element of sexuality about him. I can't describe him as sexless because there's there's um, scenes with him in which he's very clearly attracted Holy. to people, be that the TARDIS <laughs> in human form, the TARDIS in TARDIS form, uh, um, yeah. Clara and River Song. There's clear scenes in which there is an attraction there and a sexuality about him. Um, yeah. Which is why I use the phrase demisexual i'm not an expert on this this is something i've been explained to by people who understand far <laughs> better than me um yeah. so I apologize but my understanding with and i believe this is what the 11th doctor is meant to be which is that for most people he doesn't experience attraction in a sexual or romantic sense in the way um most people do um, it's only upon developing a stronger bond to someone um, that then those feelings of attraction can develop. And that's what I think is happening with the 11th Doctor. Like kind of the yeah. people that he does develop attraction to, such as the TARDIS and River Song, are people who he has that trusting, close relationship with. And it's only through that that you can feel that sort of attraction. <coughs> As opposed to the Tenth Doctor, who is, you know, going around snogging every bond blonde in space and time. <laughs> was you attracted to the girl with the weird face? Um, pre-weird face or post-weird face? Post with with the weird face, one where it looks like a Snapchat filter. Well, no, because it's very clearly a digital distortion that's making <laughs> everything, you know... She when, made a little that... girl scream. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing, right? When that veil's pulled off and everyone goes, Ah! I went, huh? I was very... I, was, I, I wasn't unsettled by it. I thought, oh, they tried. I, th- I think the image alone, especially because, you know, it's been over ten years and we can tell it's like a digital distortion... <laughs> Could you not tell then? Was you like, wow, they've really fucked up that woman's face. They've done it. Well, they've done it for a... real. Moffitt's well, gone too see... far this time. Well, when I was a kid, I remember it freaked me out because, like, you only see it for a split second. It plays this really creepy music. It's shot in a way that makes it scary. We've got a little girl screaming at it, indicating. It was... And by the way, I have to give kudos to that girl. Like, she's a oh yeah, man, she's a good actress. Actress. Like, of the yeah. kid actors they've had in the show so far, she's one of the best, if not the best. Mini Clara. That's what she looks like, a mini Clara. Mm, that didn't cross my mind. Yeah. Um I that's one thing I've noticed about us watching this, is that as a kid, you you were a little wimp. You were scared a lot by Doctor. I'd never recall being scared by it once. I never like I was never hiding behind the sofa. Like I know there were lots Liar. of kids like who like hid behind the sofa when the Daleks appeared, and I've never found like the Daleks scary. Um, Who's hiding behind surface? That surface normally up against walls. There are, how you not? It was like a thing. Like there are loads of people who hid behind the sofa as kids. Yeah, but every I'm thinking of every house I've been in. My house, my dad's house, my friend's house, uh, my friend's flat. I was in the other day. All the sofas are up against the wall. Who's hiding? Maybe in the seventies they put sofas in the middle of the room. <laughs> maybe, maybe they do. 
Uh, anything else that I haven't got? I haven't got any questions for Forrester the Dead, actually. I forgot to take any notes down. Uh, so let's talk about River Song's death. Um, weirdly emotional, considering it's a character we've only just met. Yeah, yeah. Well, is it? I'm, it's definitely emotional for the Doctor, because kind of it's got to a point where he trusts us because of the fact that uh, she knows his name, which Warren. is... Warren who? That's his name. You've done it. That's the doctor's name. <laughs> That's it, Warren. <laughs> Got to confirm. Did we 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 lip reading River at that point? Yeah, I was. He just goes, "You fucking called Warren, aren't you?" That's what she says. <laughs> I I think I'm gonna have to call the doctor Warren now. <laughs> yeah, Warren who? He kind of looks like a Warren. I'm gonna lie. He does, he does, they he? all look like Warren. They all look like Warrens. <laughs> Even Jody looks like Warren. <laughs> you, think, you look at Matt Smith, and if he went, "My name's Warren," you'd go, "Of course he's," and stay with Capaldi. So like Tom Baker and Tra- <laughs> they're all Warren. They're all called Warren. You've done it, man. This is like the big mystery, like. Stephen dedicated like a whole series to this, and you just solved it like that. I slept on it. Doctor <laughs> whose name is Warren. <laughs> anyway, River's death. Um, How do you feel? I, I, it was strange because like when when she first started this episode, I was like, "Hey, it's River," and then I was like excited to see her again, and then and then she died, and I was like, "Ah, bum. That's a bummer." Yeah, but it, it's really impactful, and I, I love the stuff that she's saying. Like when the doctor was like, "No, I can save you. We can, I can. Time can be rewritten," and she's like, "No, not these times. Don't change your line." Yeah. Um, that, that was, uh, like, go on. Sorry. I was gonna. Have, it, it's written in a way that it is quite whimsical and big and poetic, but it there's a real truth to it in the way yeah. it's written and the way it's delivered. That really sold it. I just thought yeah. it was a really beautiful moment. Yeah, I, I like the part where um, where when she does die and he goes back to save her, and like the way he's running and he's like saying all this stuff, and I was like, oh, it's like he remembers. It's like he remembers the stuff he hasn't even done yet, and he's mm. like, after everything we've been, through, he's like running and he's jumping through the hoops and whatever, and I was like, oh, it's like he, rem- it's like somehow he knows that everything yeah. she's saying is true. Do you know what I mean? Apart from the fact that yeah, I mean, she knows his name to be Warren. Everything with River in this just has displays just this incredible foresight. Yeah. It's really like I'm not one usually to be super impressed by complex timey wimey things. Uh, and I didn't think outside of Blink I would be, but I I don't know, just rewatching this, I've said it before and I'll say it again, I just have a whole new level of appreciation for River Song and how she's been handled, especially here. And just like it all rings so true. Like, if like a single River Song episode in the Moffat era had been written in a way which wasn't consistent or felt a little off, then that would have undercut this story. But the fact yeah. that all those stories since have just made this even more impactful, yeah, speaks volumes. Um, yeah, <coughs> yeah. I look forward to seeing more of her. So, um, I'm all done on Forest of Dead, Series 4, Episode 9. Oh, well, not Episode 9. Is it our ninth episode? Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, it is. 
what's next? What's next week? Next week is midnight. Oh, it is. Yeah, and then we're into the big finale stuff. Hmm. Woohoo! Um, let's not skip over midnight because uh, I have thoughts on midnight. I know. I, I've been pleasantly surprised by series four. I was updating my rankings last night of episodes and stuff, and I, I, I look forward to when we finish the RTD stuff. Sort of going, I'd like to rank not every episode, but every series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it'd be good to do a uh, maybe we make top ten tenth Doctor episodes or something like that. Oh, the thumbnail! I can see it now. Like if we, if we each did. <laughs> He's a strictly mm. judge. I can see the thumbnail. He's he's a he's a strictly come dancing judge, and he's holding one of those panels that says ten. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I'll probably forget that by the time it rolls around. Um, anything that we haven't mentioned, Harry, that you would like to mention before we move into recommendations? Um, I actually went through the whole thing without saying what the girl's name is. It's it's Cal. The girl's called Cal. Oh, it is. Isn't I didn't it? Yeah. forget that. I didn't forget that. <laughs> I just realised, just described just the girl throughout the whole thing, but her name's Cal. It is. What a weird name. Um, I name Cal. Well, it's, not, it's not a name, is well, it? Isn't Cal. it like, is that her initials? Uh, yeah, yeah, because I got one question down and it was, what does the A stand for in Cal? And it's Abigail. Is it Anne? Nah. Annabelle? Abigail. Ah, oh, fudge. <laughs> Harry, what do you want to recommend? Before I go, I just want to tell you you were fantastic. Oh, recommendations. Um, I said I'd been to Skinner last week, but I went on a detour with it, recommending a film that wasn't in the cinema. I was meaning to actually recommend last week uh, the film Candyman. Oh, I've heard I've heard a few people come to see this. I've heard I've either heard people have really enjoyed it or they've gone nah. Yeah, I the people I went with like a few people and they had a it was a similar reaction. Some of them really liked it. Some of them were like, eh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It's uh, I didn't find it particularly scary as a horror film, but I don't usually find horror films scary. Um, so I was just kind of like appreciating what it was doing. Like one thing I love about horror films is just like the imagery is always yeah. really inventive and it's always shot in a really interesting way. And especially with I don't know how much you know about kind of the candy man and how he works nothing nothing at all um it's one of those characters everything he makes satisfying and delicious you can even eat the dishes that song is in the movie (laughs) it's actually yeah (laughs) oh does the candy man go you say you could be a wonkara does he say that uh no the candy man doesn't talk much uh fair enough but the Candyman's seems... like a slasher. Like the Candyman's like without giving away too much. Um, for Candy, the Candyman to appear, you say his, you have to say his name five times into a mirror. And there's a lot of imagery with mirrors throughout the film. That's very creative and uh, fun. And what also, if you say it into a front-facing the... camera, like a selfie. What if you say it into a selfie? I think any reflection, and it works. Okay, but a but camera's not really a reflection. Is it? It's more of a. Okay, and also there's some cool social commentary in the film neat bit of that sprinkled in there well not sprinkled in it's very up front and centre it's making <laughs> real points of it <laughs> cool I will add it to my list I'm actually I've I last year or the year before 
I watched The Office, the American version, and in that, the character of Dwight says he's watched over 250 films. And I went, I think I've watched more than that. So I basically listed every film I could ever remember watching, and, I, and, I, and I've been adding to it since. And on Sunday morning, I reached 299, which means I'm about to reach my 300th film. What are you going to um, watch your 300th film? It, it's going to be a film I've never seen before, obviously, to add it onto the list. It's going to be Pulp Fiction. It's good. That's a good film. It's a good 300. Don't tell me anything about it. That's not what I'm recommending. Um, yeah, I was about to say, reason... it's a weird recommendation if you've not seen it yet. <laughs> um, you may remember that we took a short break because I was meant to be moving flat and I still haven't. I Hopefully, dear God, by the time this goes out, we'll be in my new flat. Um, I'm meant to be moving in on the 11th. So I've been buying bits and bobs to go in it. I want to recommend just buying art to go in your new flat or canvas stuff. And not when I say art, I don't mean like a fancy painting or anything like that. I bought this that I know nobody can see apart from Harry. But it's a canvas of the comic book character Blade. It says Blade ah. the Vampire. It's big red canvas. I think that was like like £4 from the range. So, you know, spice up your walls. I don't know you liked Blade. Uh, I've never read a single Blade or seen a single movie, but I saw that and I liked it. (laughs) I just like the artwork of Blade. I really like the thing. And I was was with Harrison when I bought it, and we were looking at the stuff, and a lot of it was the movies. Pardon me. Oh, pardon me. Um, A lot of it was the movies. You know, it was like, here's a big thing of Chris Evans. I was like, well, I don't want want Chris Evans on my wall. It's a bit weird. Or a lot of badly photoshopped pieces of work. And that was the only really comic book one then. I really like it. I like how, I like the big bold redness of it of it all. You're getting to like read Blade now to justify having a big Blade canvas. Yeah, that's a good problem, isn't it? It's like I've got. It's like I've always resisted wearing t-shirts with band logos on because I'm always apprehensive I'm going to run into someone who's going to go, "What's your favorite Bowling for Soup album?" And I have to go, "I don't freaking know." No one. Do people? I feel like Bowling for Soup place, You know. You know songs, but you don't know album names. That's you know, like the Beatles. Yeah, you know, the Beatles. Like you know how you know like the album names are kind of in the public consciousness. You know, Sergeant Pepper, Revolver, etc. That, but... that that always reminds me of one of my favorite Alan Partridge jokes, where he's talking to someone about the Beatles, and someone goes, "So, what's your favorite Beatles album?" And he just goes, "I'll probably say the best of the Beatles." <laughs> <laughs> Wait, wait, is there, uh, a, is there a Bowling for Soup album called like At the Movies or something? I think there is, isn't there? Something like that. Yeah. Is that the one? I like Bowling Soup. I'm off to see them next year. Can't wait. That's going to be fun, yeah. yeah. I think they do a good live set from what I've seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 theme song. I was talking to someone the other morning um, and they were like, I was like, oh, what are you up to today? They're like, oh, I've got to go to... Uh, my sister's uh, he said it was, it was his stepsister's mum's birthday right but the way he okay. said it is, is his stepsister's name is Stacy and he went oh it's Stacy's mum's birthday and I just looked at him and he looked at me and he was like why are you looking at me like that and I was like Stacy's mum and he was like yeah and I was like oh Jesus <laughs> I just didn't get it <laughs> And in my head, I'm going. So it's sitting away, completely disinterested in the rest of the conversation. Well, actually, Tim, I think you'll find that Stacy's mom was originally a Fountains of Wayne song, and it's very often misattributed to Bowling for Soup to the point that was. Is it 
I thought it was Sinful Way. No, um, no, no. It was originally by Fountains of Wayne, but the people who kept coming up to Bowling for Soup and saying, oh, my favourite Bowling for Soup song is Stacey's Mum. Oh, to the point where okay. they always play it in their live sets because there are those of people who expect them to do it, and they have yeah. it with their own version. And the two versions sound virtually identical. See, I can my, tell different what I because I'm what, like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I, what I thought the story was, and I could be wrong, was that Bowling for Soup did it originally, but Fountain Fortune is it for, Fortune for Wayne, isn't it? Fountains of Wayne. Fountains of Wayne, they did the music video first, so that went on YouTube, and more people saw that. No, no, Fountains of Wayne just did the song first, but it sounds a lot like Bowling for Soup, so people mistook it for a Bowling for Soup song. Oh, well, there you go, then. <laughs> right, holy shit early. I didn't realise what the time was. It's ten to nine. It's ten to ten. I've got to be I've got to be picking a friend up at half past ten and I still need to shower. So that's this episode, everybody. Uh we've been speaking for god nearly an hour. Um all the stuff at the end of the episode. Jeez, I'm panicking. Um uh, Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, and Anchor. Leave us a five-star review wherever you can. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and all that. All links in the description. Say bye real quick, Harry. Bye-bye. Make sure you subscribe to the official Bigger on the Inside podcast.